A content note about today's episode is that it does include discussion about suicide. Please choose another story if these details may be unhelpful to you. Dallas's mom died from breast cancer when she was 17. Her mom was first diagnosed when Dallas was two, so she had cancer most of Dallas's life. Dallas had a messy and complicated relationship with her grief, and for a period of time, she wanted to die. And now, Dallas's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Dallas, um, and Dallas is one of the people that I met online when I put a post out about asking if people would be willing to share their stories, and so she has graciously agreed to share her story with us today, and so kind of how this podcast goes is I'm going to turn the mic over to Dallas, let her introduce herself let her tell us her story. I'm going to mute myself. If you've never been on the podcast before, I don't know if you know that I actually do that, but I do mute myself just to give the person the time to to talk and share their story. And then when she's done, um, I will come back and ask some questions that she can answer or that she can say, no, she doesn't want to answer them. So um, it's always up to the person, just so you, everybody who's listening knows, it's always, I always say that it's their story, it's not my story. So people can change their minds, people can change things. Um, and so just so that if you're a listener and you understand how this kind of works, it is totally the 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 person who owns the story owns this, um, their version of the podcast. So anyways. All that to say, welcome, Dallas. Thank you so much for being here. Looking forward to hearing your story. And um, after you're done sharing, I'll come back for some questions. Great. Thank you so much, Beth. Um, I appreciate the chance to get on here and, you know, tell my story. Um, So I, you know, I was born on Mother's Day. Um, If, you know, that's any kind of indication on how my how my story is going to go and how my relationship with my, with my mom is going to end up being um, Mother's Day and my birthday every year since I was born she would say it was both of them were our day um, because I was born Mother's Day so Mother's Day and I'm the I'm the oldest in my family so my Mother's Day gift to her was making her a mother on Mother's Day um, and, and yeah, and even my birthday, which, you know, was infuriating when I was little and like, all I wanted to do was just celebrate my birthday and get my presents. And my mom would be like, no, no, it's our day. Um, so, so yeah, that it, I celebrated a lot of birthdays with, with my mom and we celebrated a lot of birthdays, uh, a lot of my birthdays with my family. Cause it, every couple of years ended up being on mother's day. Um, and even if it wasn't on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, we would be at brunch with my mom's family um, for like a nice Mother's Day brunch. So I spent almost all of my birthdays until I was a teenager with my family. Um, my mom was very much a family person. Um, she was the second youngest of 11 children. Um, nine of the 11 were girls and two were boys or are boys. Um, and she was kind of like, 
the caretaker for everyone. Um, she was a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, she was kind of the peacekeeper. She was the life of the party all the time. She was just kind of like everybody's favorite person. Um, and she, you know, believed that family was everything. So whenever people were fighting, she was kind of always really happy to jump into like the mediating role um, to try to kind of resolve whatever was going on so that we could, you know, be a family again and be close. And, you know, she did, she didn't like when people were fighting. Because um, my family was, for the most part, we are all very close. I'm still very close with my, all of my cousins. Um, I have, I think there are 36 of us on my mom's side. I have, so I have 35 cousins, um, and another like third, 22nd cousin. So we're, we're a very big, very big group. And, um, for the most part, we're all fairly close. Um, like there isn't one person that I kind of feel any kind of animosity toward which is, is really cool. And, you know, growing up in that big family environment is really awesome. And it's, um, it, it feels like kind of being raised in like this small village kind of, where just like everybody's taking care of everybody, um, which is like really cool. And you kind of grow up with 30 friends um, who, you know, I'm lucky enough to have stayed friends with and stayed close to throughout adulthood as well. Um, so, so yeah, like, like I said, we're all, we're all very close. My mom was very close with her siblings. She was very close with, um, her in-laws. Um, and she, she never forgot about anybody ever. Um, she always called everyone on their birthday. She had, um, I remember she had this calendar, um, that was, I, I want to say it was from like 2000 or something. It was like a wall calendar, but she kept it every year because it had everybody's birthdays in it. So everybody, every month she would change the calendar as if it was like an updated calendar. But, um, but it was just so she made sure that she didn't forget about anybody when she like got a new calendar or like forget to add somebody's birthday. Um, so every time somebody's birthday came up, she would call me my brother and my dad and to where like wherever she was with the kitchen or living room and we would have to get on the phone and sing happy birthday to whoever's birthday it was um but that's just kind of the person my mom was in my family she wanted everybody to be involved she wanted everybody to be included and she wanted everyone to feel special um she didn't want anybody to ever feel left out or forgotten about or anything like that um she was just like really like such an incredible person um and I mean like it, I feel like it's so hard not to look back on you know dead loved ones without rose-colored glasses like oh they're this perfect person and like she was like she wasn't perfect she was you know she was human she made lots of mistakes she um wasn't the perfect parent but you know it really is still so hard to say a lot of negative things about her um, just because of who she was to me, who she was to everybody else. And, you know, watching her interact with other people and just seeing what she meant to all these other people in my family and even, you know, family, friends and um, the people she worked with. It's, it's really hard to like 
really say anything significantly negative about her. Um, so she was first diagnosed with breast cancer when I was, uh, I think like around like two years old. I obviously don't really remember much from that time period outside of, you know, giving her our stuffed animal. Me and my brother would give her one of our stuffed animals um, to stay in the hospital with her. So she had something of ours and she would give, um, we would bring another stuffed animal to her and she would give it a big hug and give it back to us so that we had her hugs with us when we went to sleep. Um, I don't remember how long she had cancer for, but she eventually went into remission. Um, and she was in remission for a little over 10 years. Um, and, um, you know, in that time I used to go with her to her like yearly checkups. Um, so like, I very much grew up with this kind of like, like illness just kind of looming always like if even if it wasn't even if she wasn't actively diagnosed with breast cancer we had I was going with her to monthly checkups like it was something we talked about as a family like we we didn't kind of just sweep it under the rug and pretend it wasn't there um so like when I when I first started going to school like I just I kind of just assumed everybody's mom had cancer and you know my mom had to shave her head because she would have lost her hair with the chemo so I thought like everyone else's mom was supposed to be bald too and you know there are all these things that I thought you know going into school and then I you know I meet other other kids and I have play dates and I'm meeting other moms and I'm like oh no they're not sick like what's um why is it my mom and you know, when I was, when I was young, my, my godmother was also diagnosed with breast cancer. My mom's oldest sister was also diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had a lot of cancer going in the family. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard to like, look at other families and, and not feel confused as to why they weren't, they didn't have the same kind of incidence of, of any kind of cancer that my family had. Uh, it was really weird. And I, I don't know if I ever met anybody while my mom was alive who had a mom or a dad or a parent or close family member other than like maybe a grandparent that had cancer. So it was, it was a little strange, a little isolating, like interacting with people outside of my family. Cause they just, I didn't really know how to talk to people about what was going on with my family. Cause um, you know, I knew there was just like not really any kind of meaningful way that they were going to be able to relate to that. Um, so yeah, it was like, it was a little strange, um, but it was, it was much easier when she went into remission because, you know, her hair grew back. Um, she's healthy. She's not going to doctor's appointments anymore. She's not going through chemo. Like um, there's nothing really happening other than those yearly checkups. Um, but then uh, when I was a, I think it was like the end of my sophomore year of high school, she relapsed. And a year later, um, you know, we found out that the, they had put her on this kind of, uh, lighter treatment, something that wasn't as aggressive. Uh, and we found out a year later that that treatment wasn't working and that she would have to be put on like a really aggressive chemo. 
Um, so the summer going into my senior year, she was on the really aggressive chemo and, you know, I had just gotten my license and I got my first job. Um, so I kind of, you know, once it started getting really bad and she can't, she couldn't like move around or go places or really do much of anything, I kind of took over as a caretaker like my dad worked every day um and you know my brother I have a I have a younger brother he's a year younger um he was actually born on Father's Day which was like uh like such a fun thing that happened um yeah he was born on Father's Day the year after I was born so we are we're Irish twins uh 13 months apart um but he didn't, you know, I had just gotten my license. So obviously he didn't have his yet. And, um, you know, so I, he had to go places, you know, and my dad's at work Monday through Friday and he's, he was working um, some like pretty long hours. So, you know, when my brother, my brother played football in high school. So when, you know, late July and August came, he needed somebody to take him to and from football practice. So, I had to be that person because my mom couldn't drive. And, um, you know, I was taking him to hang out with his friends and, um, you know, kind of just being like the chauffeur and caretaker for the summer. Um, just like, you know, making sure we had groceries so he could eat, um, making sure that um, he had spending money if he needed it because he didn't have a job at the time. Um so, so yeah, that, you know, I have a, like a really complicated relationship with that summer. Like there's, you know, a really big part of me that hates that summer and will not talk about it um, in almost any frame of mind. Um, but then there's a part of me that's really, you know, really grateful for the way things worked out that summer because um, I got to spend a lot of time with my mom that I wouldn't have gotten to spend otherwise since she couldn't work. Um, so, you know, when I wasn't working or driving my brother around, I was kind of sitting with her in the living room watching TV and, um, you know, lots of Jerry Springer and daytime TV because nothing is on at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. And there, this is pre-Netflix and streaming services, unfortunately. So we were at the mercy of daytime television. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like it was, it was fine. It was like a lot of, we played a lot of Scrabble. Like we just had like a lot of quality time together. And, you know, in that time she was obviously like miserable, um, you know, being on the treatment, just feeling sick physically. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, the conversations I'd have with her, she would talk about the fact that she was dying and, you know, that I needed to take care of my brother, that I needed to make sure that my dad found somebody else and, you know, like all this stuff. And I like, remember just like dismissing her and being like, stop it. That's so stupid. You're not going to die. Like, you're going to be fine. This is fine. Um, but then in August, we found out that the treatment wasn't working and, um, uh, we didn't know at the time, but the doctor told my dad that she had six months to a year left to live. Um, I don't think my dad told her. He told me he didn't tell her. Um, so I don't think she knew. 
um, like maybe she had an idea that, you know, she was going to die, but she didn't know that there was like an actual like time frame that she was given. Um, so, you know, when she came off of the treatment, it was like everything went back to normal. Like she was healthy again. She was, you know, um, she was working um, like maybe two days a week. Um, and she was able to drive and she was, you know, before school started, when, after she came off the treatment, I had driven her into her office a couple of times. Um, like it, it kind of just felt like, like normal, but normal sick, I guess, like, cause she's, she's doing things on her own. She's, she's able to get up and cook and clean and she went back to being in like the quarterback club at my high school. So she's working the, so I'm like back to working the snack stands with her during football games. And um, so it was like, kind of like nothing had happened at that point. Like, we're all just like, oh, okay. Like she's fine now. So we're just kind of kind of go about our lives. And, you know, we're going to joke about this all one day um, about how we all thought mom was going to die. And she was just like, perfectly fine um that obviously wasn't the case because if it was I I wouldn't be here I guess but um she was totally fine for all of September we celebrated her 45th birthday October 2nd um then like October 9th um she started getting she that week she had the next week she had started getting really bad stomach pains October 9th my dad took her to the hospital um and when we had gotten home from school that day my dad you know he sat us down in the kitchen and told us that she was dying um and he told us that you know they had told him in August that she had six months to a year and but you know she wasn't going to make it that long um so she died the next Wednesday which was like less than a full week later um we brought her home Monday or no we brought her home on Tuesday so she died um in our house and you know most of our family was there most of my aunts and uncles were there and the ones who weren't there were on their way so um you know she died sur like surrounded by family in the one room in our house dedicated to the Dallas Cowboys which I think is where she would have wanted to die if if she had to pick where she would die I think that would be it she's you know if my name wasn't any kind of dead giveaway my parents are huge Dallas Cowboys fans um so I was named Dallas because of their obsession with the Cowboys um but I got a I got a little bit of a pass from it because uh, they they put the I in my name instead of the A uh so so yeah um so she died in that room um on Wednesday and you know I I was back in school the next week. I 
you know, we, the wake and the wake was Thursday, Friday, the funeral was Saturday. Um, and I went back to school Monday. Um, I didn't really know what to do. I don't, um, after she died, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know that I really remember all of the rest of my senior year of high school. Um, you know, I, I played basketball in high school, but I, I quit my senior year, um, because, you know, going, to games and looking up in the stands and not seeing her just like got way too painful. And, um, and I just like, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and you know, my dad wasn't handling it well at all. So basketball kind of felt like something that was just going to keep me stressed out and, um, prevent me kind of from I guess taking care of my dad and and my brother in in the way that they might have needed me to take care of them um so I don't I feel like I I didn't really think about it after she died I could just kind of jumped into this role that um that I should probably should not have jumped into but um you know, it, it wasn't just a, a self-imposed expectation. Like I had, after my, my mom died, my, my aunts all were kind of like, re- and not all of them, but like some of them were reaching out to me for comfort. And, you know, I just kind of, it was like my mom died. And then I just, everybody just kind of put me in the place that she was in. So, you know, I was suddenly having like a more, way more adult conversations with my aunts and, you know, I was being treated like an adult, but also still being treated like a child. And, you know, I was, I was 17. I'm not even legally an adult. Um, But, you know, like when, when my mom died, like I had to, I had to make all the decisions, um, like where she was going to be buried, where the funeral would be where the week would be um yeah and you know picking pictures to put up on the board like I was I was making all of the decisions because my my dad just couldn't um so that just kind of continued I was just kind of being that person for the rest of my senior year and that's really all I remember about my senior year of high school is just like feeling like I needed to take care of my dad, make sure that my brother was not necessarily take care of my brother in like a parental way, but just make sure that he had what he needed. Like just make sure there was food in the fridge, make sure, um, you know, there was somebody there to give him rides places. Um, I think I just kind of wanted to put my head down and get through the rest of the school year. Like I, I think I was running on like a lot of maybe like shock and adrenaline after the loss that I just was like, go, go, go. Um, And, you know, I got into my dream school, uh, which was University of Maryland. And I was so excited and, um, you know, it, it, getting into Maryland kind of I felt like it gave me life again I guess like like I was starting to think about myself and my future a little bit more than I had before um so I you know I thought getting into Maryland was going to be 
kind of like the turning point in my life and like things were just gonna go up like they were just gonna get better and better and better and you know that was that was the beginning of my life as this new person um who I could pretend didn't have a dead mom um so you know leading up to when I went away to college I was still kind of looking out for my brother looking out for my dad making sure everybody was okay I was being kind of like a shoulder for some of my aunts um and some of my cousins and um then when I went away to school and suddenly there was nobody for me to take care of there, I just had no idea what to do. Um, there was nobody to distract me. There was nobody to, um, for me to focus on, um, except myself. So I immediately just went into like a really dark place and I was doing a lot of self-medicating. I was drinking a lot. Um, I was very self-destructive. I was failing classes. Um, I was just kind of being this like really, really toxic person for, for a decently long time. And um, I didn't really know what was happening with me. I didn't know that it was grief. Um, and, you know, when I, my, my dad had started dating again, my freshman year of college. So it, it had been like just maybe around a year that my mom had passed away and he started dating again. And um, my dad is a very um, avoidant person. Like he just like kind of doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to, like, he, he doesn't ignore the fact that she ever existed, but if it gets too messy, he just kind of doesn't want to be involved at all. So, you know, I would call him while I was at school and I'd call him crying and um, I would, you know, be like, you know, I, I just really miss mom. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know why I just feel all these things. And um, he would just kind of respond with this, like very, what I felt was a very cold and unnecessary indifference. Like he was like, it's been a year, like, you need to move on, like, you're not moving on, you're going to ruin your whole life, Um, you're holding on to things, Um, you have to let go of the anger, you have so much anger, Um, so that was the reaction I was getting when I was expressing my grief to somebody I thought was, like, a trusted and safe person for me to talk to, so I just kind of took that and ran with it. And I really internalized that. So I just didn't talk about it at all. Um, I didn't tell my friend, a lot of my friends in college that my mom died. I, you know, I, if they asked questions about her, I would, I would talk to her, talk about her in present tense. And like, if there was ever a situation where like my dad would come to visit or something and somebody would ask my, why my mom wasn't there, I would just make up an, an excuse and she'd be like, oh, she was busy with work or she had to do something with my brother or whatever. Like I deflected as much as humanly possible. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I didn't talk about it. So because the people in my life didn't really know any better, 
I didn't have anybody to really talk to about it. Um, and in March, 2012, um, my godmother died also from breast cancer. So, you know, when I, when I went through that, it was a lot of the, the same feelings kind of coming, bubbling up to the surface and, um, all of the messy things that I was trying to avoid. And, you know, I kind of, I tried to make my cousin, you know, my focus so that I could be distracted. Um, and I tried really hard to like be there for her and to, um, to make sure that she didn't fall into the role that I had fallen into after my mom died, just to make sure that she's taking care of herself and not taking care of everybody else. And so I was able to get that like distraction back a little bit, but, um, you know, my, when my aunt, when my aunt died, I told, like, I told some people about it that I worked with cause I had to go, I had to call it, get out of work and you know I had to go home for a couple days so um so it kind of spread around that this had happened and um and then like that's when I started telling people that like my mom was dead um like I had a my mom's name is Joanne and I had a necklace that said Joanne and like I remember people asking me like if my name is Dallas or if my name is Joanne um and I would a hundred percent of the time just like kind of come back with some sort of like joke about it, like say something along the lines of, oh, Dallas is just like, or Joanne is my stripper name or something like that. Like just joke about it to deflect from the fact that it's, it was my mom's necklace and I just didn't want to talk about it. Um, so, so yeah, so once my, once my aunt had passed away, like people like I started telling people about my mom also. And, um, that summer I got an apartment with some friends and I decided to live, uh, to live on campus or, or right off campus. And, um, I, I thought that I would be better not going home. I thought that going home was going to be bad for me um, just because of, you know, the way that my dad treated me with my, when I was upset and, you know, the fact that he had this new woman in his life who was, um, she was not nice. There was, I don't remember anybody in my family liking her at all. Um, like when they broke up, my dad went to me. He was like, why didn't you tell me that nobody liked her? And I was like, I tried to tell you so many times that nobody liked her, but you didn't listen to me because you thought that I was just saying that because I didn't like her. Um, but no, nobody liked her. Um, and like being in the house, you know, uh, when she would, she would stay on weekends and being in the house was like becoming like really stressful for me uh, because of that. And you know, I remember telling my dad during winter break, right after they had started dating. Um, so it was like maybe December in 2011, I told him um, that I was really uncomfortable with her sleeping over because I didn't know her. I had only met her once when I came home for like Thanksgiving. And, um, and I was just like really not comfortable with her staying the night. Um, so he, he was very understanding and he spoke to her 
about it and then she took me out to dinner and was like um I don't know who you think you are but you can't expect me to take steps back in my relationship with your father just because you're not comfortable um so that was kind of it for me with her I was I was just like no I I don't want to be home I don't want to be in a situation where um I getting confrontational I am not a confrontational person I don't like fighting with people um I also think generally speaking I'm a very easygoing person and it takes a lot for me to like not like somebody um and I just did not like her like I I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt I I cannot imagine how um complicated it must be to come into a situation as a significant other um where the previous significant other died it's not like a divorce situation they're not still around like they're gone um and there's kids involved like so I I tried giving her the benefit of the doubt because I am sure that's not an easy situation to to just kind of walk into but she was yeah so we didn't like her so I I was like I'm gonna stay in Maryland for the summer because I don't want to go home and I got a job on campus and you know, I was staying in the apartment by myself and I was really excited about it. So it was like, you know, I, this is me being an adult. This is great. Um, but a month in, I was so deeply depressed and so lonely and so, um, just like sad and all the things. And, you know, during that month, there had been several times where I had again tried to reach out to my dad for some kind of support um just you know telling him that I you know I I'm not okay like I'm really sad I'm this I'm that and still constantly being met with the um oh you know it's been x amount of time or um you know, you have so much anger, you really need to just let it go. You need to move on. You're messing up your whole life. You're going to be miserable forever if you don't let this go. Um, and I didn't really understand it because I initially had felt like what I was feeling might have been normal given the circumstances. Um, like, you know, nobody knows what to feel when a parent dies and nobody tells you what you're going to feel and back then there weren't really any resources on grief. So I had, I had no idea what I was, what was supposed to happen after she had died and what I was supposed to feel. And, um, you know, when I, when I first went away to college and I started feeling all these like really deep, like negative emotion or not negative emotions, but like all these deep emotions, like this deep sadness and this deep, um, anger and um that like you know hole that you feel like in the pit of your stomach um when you think about all the things you're not going to be able to do with this person anymore um I at first I thought that was normal I was like this is probably just what this is me grieving but you know I I had talked to my dad and my dad had just said it so many times that I really internalized this whole like why are you feeling this way? You're not supposed to be feeling this way. Um, so I thought something was wrong with me. And I thought that the only way to fix 
what was going on in my head was to end my life. And, um, you know, I had, I, I had every intention of doing it. Um, but, uh, I guess as, as fate would have it, uh, a friend decided randomly that day to just come like visit. He was in the area and he had a key to my apartment and he came to visit um, and he walked, I heard the door slam and it kind of just like knocked me out of this like trance that I felt like I was in this just like numb trance where I was like, this is it. There's no way for me to not feel this anymore because this is not a normal way to feel. And there's no way for me to fix this because I don't think I can let it go. Like everybody's telling me to do. I can't be happy. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong in my head. And um, the only way for this, these thoughts and these emotions to go away is if I also go away, if, if I am also dead. Um, so yeah, I, he, like, I heard the door close. I kind of snapped out of this trance and, you know, when the gravity of what I was about to do kind of like hit me, I just, I just like completely broke down and, um, you know, I, I had, I talked to my friend and I, I confided in him and, um, he, you know, we, we had, it was a very scary moment. Um, I'm sure it was a really scary moment for him. It was a very scary moment for me. Um, and it's, it's so crazy to like, look back and, and think like, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm a lawyer living in Brooklyn. I work in a job that I love. I am married to my best friend in the entire world. Um, and, you know, I am in a place where I am, I'm comfortable and I'm, I'm happy with the way things have turned out. And it's so weird to look back and think like there was one person that, that essentially created the situation for all of this to happen um and without that one person I don't know if I would be here right now and um and I think a lot of that is because of just kind of the lack of resources that were available and you know the lack of meaningful support that I was getting or that I felt like I was getting um my you know my aunts and my cousins they were there for me and they were they supported me but um I don't think that anybody like like much like me not knowing what to do and what to feel I don't think anybody else really knew what to do with me and my brother um but which is it which is totally fair like how can you know but nobody nobody really asked like how they could support me in a way that was better for me and I didn't know better um so I didn't know that you know advocating for myself was even an option because I I didn't even really feel like I knew what I needed from from other people um and you know looking back now I can say all I needed was for somebody to just tell me like you're okay this is normal like you're fine um you know, everything you're feeling is normal. Everything you're feeling is grief. Everything you're feeling is valid. Like you do not need to shut, shove this down. You can talk to people about it. Um, but you know, my, my dad is pretty, uh, 
old school in that he has the kind of uh, keep it in the family mentality. So like, you know, if, you know, all issues in the family need to be resolved in the family and they're, they shouldn't be discussed with people outside of the family, which, you know, to, to an extent I understand, but that really did a lot of damage um, because, you know, obviously I had one parent who kind of really deeply ingrained that kind of ideology in me and my other parent who had passed, who was all about family, like her family was her whole life and she would do anything for family. So, you know, that was just kind of indoctrinated like into my life. Like that's, I thought that that was the way I needed to, to, you know, kind of exist also. It was just like anything that happens that has to do with your family. You don't talk to other people about it you talk to your family. Um, And I try, I would try that and I would just keep getting like, oh, well, it's been X amount of time or, oh, like try imagining how I feel or, or stuff like that. Like, it's just like as a response to me feeling what I now know are just like very normal emotions um, that come after a loss. Um, So so yeah, um, I made the decision to transfer out of Maryland for the next academic year. So I finished out uh, the school year following that summer. Um, and when I transferred schools, I did much. I was doing much better. I I went to, started going to therapy. Um, I was medicated. Um, I really kind of like started to embrace you know the emotions that I was feeling and I I really started to um handle them in a in a much healthier way um and you know I would still reach out to my dad and he would still say the same thing and I still struggled with that a lot but for the most part I was I was feeling much better and Um, and, you know, I was obviously able to get good enough grades to get into law school. And, you know, I was able to take the LSAT and get a good enough score on the LSAT to get into, to get into law school. And, um, you know, when I, when I graduated from undergrad, I was like, I felt like my future was just like so bright. And it was the same feeling as when I went away to Maryland in that, like, this is it. This is like the, you know, upward trajectory. This is the start of everything good that's going to happen to me. Um, And um, so when I went to law school, I stopped going to therapy because I was like, I'm fine now. I'm cured. I'm really good. Like, cool. And I started my second year of law school um, and I just struggled so much to keep my head above water and you know, like I said before, like my mom, so my mom's birthday is October. She died in October. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, It's just a really, a really tough month for me. And it's at the beginning of the semester. Um, So I, you know, kind of went through my thing um, that I go through kind of every year, which is like kind of end of August and all of September are spent just like dreading and bracing myself for October um and I had a really really hard time 
with, you know, school and I was in a clinic at the time. So I was working on like real cases and um, I was taking a lot of hard classes and, um, and trying to work at the same time. And it just kind of blew up again. Um, and I, I kind of stopped myself because I felt myself going back to that place that I was in that summer. And, you know, I was, I was so scared of going back there again that I just like immediately called a therapist and I was like, I need, I need to come in and talk to somebody like tomorrow. Um, so once I started going to therapy again, it, again, it's just like kind of this like fun cycle where you're like, you're in therapy, you're great. Everything's great. And then you stop and everything just kind of like, suddenly you just kind of lose that um, momentum, I guess, with, you know, these, all these like coping skills and, um, you know, ways of approaching things that don't cause you to go into this like crazy downward spiral. Um, and it's kind of like muscle memory and like you get so used to doing them. And then, you know, once you're not in therapy anymore, you can still do them for a while and you just kind of lose it. And then you're back to square one and you're like, oh my God, I have to go back again. Um, so yeah, so I did. And, you know, since then I've been constantly in therapy, just like trying to work through, you know, my grief and what happened with my mom and but also like trying to just deal with the the relationships that I have with my family now as a result of you know my mom dying and and the expectations that were placed on me after she died and the um you know a lot of my relationships just like were became very blurred and very complicated and um you know, my, I would have an aunt treat me like I was her equal, like I was my mom one minute. And then the next minute, like it was like flipping a switch and suddenly it's, I'm the child, I'm beneath her. Um, and it, it put a lot of strain on a lot of my relationships and it, it, you know, um, it, caused a lot of like confusion within myself like just like trying to figure out who I am individually but also who I am to all these people um is you know I I I do think that you know your your 20s are really about figuring out who you are and what you want and um I didn't feel like I was in a place where I could figure that out until more recently um and I, I remember, you know, I got, I got engaged in 2019 and I remember breaking down and crying to my now husband, um, saying like, like, how can we get married? I don't even know who I am. I don't, I never got to figure out who I am. I don't know. Um, I don't know what I want out of life. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I'm supposed to be because the past 13 years of my life have been people telling me what I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be and what role I'm supposed to fill. Um, so I never really got the opportunity to, to like explore these other things and um, 
like personalities that, you know, make me who I am. And um, I struggled with that a lot when I first got engaged. Um, And then the pandemic hit and I had more than enough time to figure out who I was. I laid off from my job for four months. So I was just sitting like in our small apartment while my husband worked in the living room. I was sitting in the bed all day, um, which, you know, for somebody who kept themselves themselves busy like constantly since my mom died I had not had more than maybe a week where I didn't have something to do and now all of a sudden I don't have work I um can't really go anywhere I am like nervous to go outside I'm nervous to get on the subway like I don't really want to travel um like we're in the middle of like this global pandemic it's everything's really scary you know it's an election year like it's just everything all these like things just happening all at the same time I had a lot of downtime and I didn't know what to do with myself and I you know had started I felt myself start kind of starting to slide again I didn't really I was like trying to figure out hobbies I I bought the sims so I could do something during the day play something and um and it was watch so many shows and movies, just anything to distract myself. But I, I found that I was kind of like backsliding a little bit, um, even though I was in therapy at the time. And that was like a different, that was new for me. And that was scary. So I had actually like asked my therapist to like send me um, like um, resources uh for like, you know, if I, if I ever felt like I was getting back to that point that I was in 2012, where I feel like the only way out is to, um, is to kill myself. Um, like, you know, I, I, I just, I want some resources. I don't want to get to that point. So if I feel like I'm, I'm even close to that point, I want to, I want to have a game plan to avoid it. Um, uh, so I had her send me like phone numbers, like, um, inpatient facilities that I would, I could call, um, uh, she, it was a really scary time. And I, I know it scared my husband. I, I told him, you know, what I had done and, and he knew about, uh, that summer, um, already, but, you know, I, told him that you know me I think just like seeing me scared like that and scared enough to like make a plan just in case something gets kind of out of control was like really scary for him but um I didn't end up doing anything with any of those resources um largely I think because that um that summer I found out about empower her which is a nonprofit organization that um, essentially just provides a community for girls with mother loss, um, which is amazing. I found them on Instagram. I immediately reached out uh, and I saw that they were only based out of Massachusetts at the time. So I reached out and I was like, how do I get this to New York? Um so I became really involved with them and, you know, being involved with them and meeting all of these women who had very similar experiences to mine and 
um, meeting the girls that are enrolled uh, was really incredible and really so healing for me, I think. And um, it was such an incredible way to kind of give back and also um, just not feel so isolated because um, the, you know, grief is isolating. The pandemic is, was very isolating. Um, it was just, you know, a, a really terrible time to be grieving and, um, you know, watching the world um, experience this kind of like communal grief of, you know, normal and, you know, watching, hearing, you know, the death counts and knowing that these families are about to go through what I went through and knowing that there there's this like collective grief happening for so many different reasons. And, um, and, you know, initially being in a position where you're like, I see all this, but I literally can't do anything about it. Um, was frustrating, but then, you know, getting involved with Empower Her was like, okay, well, I can't, you know, maybe I can't do anything on a meaningful global scale, but I can do this. And, you know, I can help out here. So I, you know, over the pandemic, they discovered that it was, it wasn't as you know, costly and as difficult as they thought it would be to kind of open up on a national level. Um, so they greenlit all the other chapters around the country, including um, the tri-state chapter, which is New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, and they hired program coordinators and like myself. So now I, I do every, I do all the things for their like mentorship program um, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, which is really cool because my job with them is essentially to meet other women who want to be mentors to young girls who have experienced mother loss and to meet with these girls and their families and, um, you know, getting to talk to people about their loss and, you know, being able to have a space where I can share my story as well has been like really, really incredible, like beyond anything I can really describe. So um, Empower Her, not to sound super dramatic, Empower Her like saved me. Um, they're just like a really incredible organization and um, all of the women involved are really, really amazing. Um, they, so they serve girl, uh, girls and young women up until age 24. And, you know, those girls can go to the events that they hold, like they hold a Mother's Day retreat every year um, and several other events throughout the year. And, you know, the girls could also be involved in their mentorship program where they will be matched with, um, you know, a woman over 25 uh, who has also experienced mother loss. So so it's, it's a really cool program. Um, I had a mentee, I, I still have a mentee, we, transitioned out of the program but um you know I just I loved getting to know her and I loved getting to hear her story and my and you know relate it to my story and to it's just like really great to know you're not the only person out there who's feeling all these really complicated things um so yeah that's that's my story that's 
that's how I got here. <laughs> wow. Well, I can totally um, relate to everything you're saying about Empower Her because your timing of that and how you got involved in that was was kind of when I started my online presence um, and then the podcast I started at the end of 2020, but really released it in the beginning of 2021. But it was the same thing, just that isolation and feeling so alone. And even my 2020 started with the loss of my sister. So I went back to my mom. Um, but you did just realize like how much we don't provide space for people to grieve. And I think it's just, I think it's just the uncomfortableness. I, I think people have just got to learn how to be, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny because I, you know, after my mom had died, I had these people reaching out to me, not, not to see what they could do for me, but to see what they could do or how to talk to someone else they knew who would just recently experience the loss. And, and I would always just tell them like, just, just be there. Like, you don't have to say anything. There's nothing that you can say to fix the situation. And I understand silence is very uncomfortable, especially when there's this big death elephant in the room. Um, it's a weird thing. And, you know, the best that anybody can do is just accept that, just accept mm -hmm. that you don't know what to do and be okay with that. And just, you know, offer them the space and the, um, you know, the shoulder when they need it, because they will need it, whether, you know, whether they come to you initially or not, like, that's, I think the biggest part of kind of coping with grief and grieving itself is being able to express that grief in a place that is safe and comfortable for the person who is grieving is if you don't have that safe place, then you don't have, you don't really have an outlet there. And if you don't have an outlet, then you're just, you're just pushing it in and it, and it builds and it builds and it builds and you know, it, it doesn't end well. And so it's, it's, it's frustrating to talk to people who haven't experienced this because uh, they're almost always at the mindset of, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. And you just like, uh, like, okay, like, I get it. You don't want to say the wrong thing. Nobody wants to say the wrong thing. Um, but it's just, it's so important. And it's, it can be like, you could save someone's life by just, just being okay with the fact that you're not always going to say the right thing, or you don't know what to say. Just being okay with physically being there for somebody who's, you know, grieving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but there's a, I think her name's Pima Chodron. Um, I think she was, she was like a, maybe a Buddhist monk or something like that, but she had this quote that said something about, something about coming to a dark room, like somebody sitting in their darkness and learning that it's not my job to turn on the light for you. It's my job to sit in the darkness with you. And that's, you know, it's such a good kind of metaphor and visual way to think of like, you know, we'll, we'll find the light on our own eventually through however, because each individual person's process is so different, but just come sit with me, you know, 
I, right. I just, I know I just botched that. It's not right, but you can look it up if you find it interesting. But this is the other thing I was going to tell you about. This book is called Emotional Agility and it's by Susan David. And I don't think she's ever, she's written like several books. I, this is the only one of hers I know of, but she talks about learning how to have control of your emotions instead of your emotions controlling you. And two of the things she talks about is bottling your emotions, you know, when you stuff it all down or brooding. Whereas when you keep it all in, I think this is what you did. You said you kept it all in because your dad had told you like, you should be over it. You shouldn't be feeling like that anymore. And so when you brood over it, you just keep ruminating over it over and over and over in your head. Um, and neither one of those techniques are uh, really healthy, but you know, there's no, there's no formula that you and I can sit here and give out to the world that's gonna work for every person because every single person's thing is different. Right. Uh, but I would just encourage people to just keep, keep trying and keep, keep learning and keep, you know, whether it's music or drawing or poetry or talking or, you know, you and I both have gotten to the point where we're okay talking about our journeys and actually mm -hmm. love it. Like you, I'm with you that having that space to share has been such a healing part of my journey too. Like right. I held in my feelings about my mom for like 38 years, you know? Um, yeah. And it is amazing how, how healing this has been, but people have to find what works for them and hopefully have a little tribe around them that will help them get there. Um, yeah. 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 This Empower Her thing is amazing. We're going to put all of Dallas's information and links and things in the show notes if you're listening to this and want to find out about that. Because I often have people reach out to me about resources for kids and stuff like that. So this is this is amazing. Because I do think this is why, I mean, I, I'm a daughter without a mom and a daughter without a dad and a sister without a sister. But there is something very unique about the mother-daughter law you know, relationship and loss of a mother. Right. Um, yeah. So I love, I love the whole um, empower her thing and think that that's just amazing. And Hey, you're my coordinator. Cause I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that I just was, um, I, as you were talking tonight, I'm putting all these dates together. So the, this is the time of year that you're, you're, I, you didn't say, exact day but you said that your mom went back into the hospital on October 9th which was yesterday today is the 10th that Dallas and I are recording um so well God bless you for being here and doing this this week because it's got to be got to yeah. be um very like you said uh bubbling at the surface here yeah um, yeah yeah this Friday October 14th is actually 13 years since she passed wow okay. yeah which wow. is, it's crazy to think about. I, I went to the cemetery with my husband on Saturday um, and I was just talking to him and um, I was like, you know, there's only four more years until I'm alive longer without her than I have been with her, um, which is really wild to think about because especially th like thinking about the fact that you don't really like when do your memories really start? Like when you're three, four, like I don't remember anything from being a baby. Like, so really like you get, so that's what 13 conscious years with her that I got where I, you know, that I can remember. Um, 
so yeah, it's like, it's really wild to think about um, being in that position and, you know, looking forward and being like, oh, you know, the time is going to come where I'm going to have, you know, children of my own. And, um, you know, there's going to be a whole period of time where they're just, they're just not going to have any kind of understanding as to the, you know, the situation. And they're just going to kind of think that, you know, my dad and his wife are their grandparents. Um, and they will have no idea. And I won't be in a place where I can explain that to them, to them. Cause how, I mean, like, how can you explain it to, to a toddler? Like, it's just, it's just not an easy thing to really explain to anybody. Um, especially not in a way that's not going to be offensive to my dad and his wife. Like, I just like, you know, I am very much at this point in my life where I'm like, um, I know I need to do what's best for me, but I know that sometimes doing what's best for me can cause me some problems with some of my relationships that I just kind of don't want to that I shouldn't have to deal with and I don't want to have to deal with. So I just, I shy away from doing those things that I think are going to cause those problems. And, you know, I'm like, like ruminating over this. Like, I'm like, how, how, what is the right age to explain this in a way that they're going to understand like what's going on without going to my dad or like, or saying something that's going to get me in trouble. Um, So yeah, it's, yeah, it's that time of year. It's a, very strange time of year um but you know I honestly can't think of a better way to you know spend a day in October than to sit and share my story on a podcast that's going to be broadcasted to a bunch of strangers (laughs) (laughs) yep but you never know who this is going to touch and hey one day when you decide because you know you'll have this recording one day when you decide you know, your kids are older and you do want to share something with them, you'll have, you'll have uh, some story to share. And then one thing I would say to you about that is, first of all, give yourself some grace with the ruminating about it, because as you continue to get older, you care less about all that other stuff that you really have no control over. And you're going to learn what's going to, you're going to have to do what's best for you and your husband and your family, which is your new family with your own children. And second of all, Things will just happen. Like, I don't know. Do you call your stepmom, mom? No, no. Oh, no. They did. They got married when I was like 26. So no. Right. So my dad got married again, too. I didn't. I still call her Becky. And she's my, you know, my only my only parent livings now. And so there's things like that, that eventually, like when you went to school and you're like, wait, why aren't all the other moms bald? You know, your kids would be like, well, why do you call her Sue or whatever? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there'll be ways. There'll be ways that the conversation will just happen naturally, where it won't have to be forced or feel like it's anything that's right. You know, yeah, right, yeah. I hope um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it sounds like you like a lot of resources. There are a lot of resources out there too to help you know kids understand understand um, understand that. So. Um, so I, just one other thing I wanted to touch on is that you did, like, there was a lot of relational stuff going on in your story. And I don't know if Empower Her talks about this at all, but my niece and I, um, after my sister passed, talked about, like, and I think this, again, happens, especially with the daughters, when you're left 
with males in a family and there's no more other maternal person that you just kind of feel, like you said, part of it was self-imposed, but also self of it was all this perception of an expectation of you to step into this maternal role, not necessarily being a mom to your brother, but like you said, making sure he had food, making sure he got where he needed to go, you know, if papers needed to be signed, whatever, all those things that you stepped into that role. Um, and my gosh, and I, most definitely that that would add to all your confusion. Plus your aunts, you know, one minute treating you like a peer and then the next minute you're back to being, you know, my young niece and you can't talk to me that way. Well, you were just talking to me about some serious adult things, you know, like, hey, wow, like the confusion is just fierce. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know what we can do better to talk about that, that it's like a triangulation that happens when, when that person is gone, especially your mom, who was the peacemaker and the glue and the one that everybody turned to in the family. Um, it's a big hole and how we allow families to readjust to that hole without a, a remaining daughter feeling the need to fill it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, a, I think it's a really complicated, uh, thing for everybody involved and you know I I love my family to death I I don't hold it against them for kind of treating me the way that they did like I I can totally understand just because they you know the the hole that she left when she died was massive like it was like the, the, all of the relationships in my family have just not been the same since mm -hmm. my mom died. Um, and to see it, um, like so obviously, as opposed to like hearing when I'm a kid, like, oh, your mom keeps us all together, blah, blah, blah. And then to like actually see it in action and see everybody kind of just like fall apart. Um, it was really, really crazy. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know what people can do to kind of prevent this from being put on someone it shouldn't be put on because you know it is it is inappropriate to put me in that position it is inappropriate to for my aunts and uncles to be speaking to me like I am their sister or sister-in-law um and but like on the same, you know, in the same sense, I, I can understand how, you know, a loss that's that significant, like you just don't know what to do. Um, so, so I don't even, I don't know. I think, honestly, I think the only way to really prevent that from happening, or at least to prevent, to prevent it to the extent that it happened to me or that it happens like in like to more severe extents is to like really be able to actually have a conversation about it, mm -hmm. um, which is also hard. And people don't, um, especially like, like nothing against older generations. This is just a generalization, but the attitude toward these kinds of conversations is way different with my dad's generation than it is with my generation. Um, and, you know, someone my age who was in my situation might, you know, be like, hey, let's, let's talk about this. I don't feel comfortable with this. 
and it just might not be received at all. And that also is scary. It's scary to put yourself in a position where you might be compromising like the relationships that you have left that, you know, are still really meaningful to you um, with a conversation like that, that, you know, is gonna, it's gonna get um, uncomfortable. And, and I think that that's why people might also shy away from having that conversation. That's why I never had that conversation. I never confronted anybody about anything like this. I just kind of distanced myself from it once I realized what was happening. Um, and, and like, and you all, like you said, when you were in it, it kind of gave you like you were busy and you were doing things and like, because you lost that like caregiver role and you're confused about who you are anyways, without your mom that, you know, maybe for a short period of time, it does provide, that's probably mostly a distraction, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're right. Then, then putting yourself out there and, and perhaps risking the other relationships, you know, that you're clinging to because your mom is gone. Yeah, you're right. It's, it sounds like a great thing, but having that really hard conversation is most likely not something that's going to happen. Um, yeah. And, you know, and maybe bereavement counselors do it. I don't know. I, you know, I talked to a bereavement counselor, but my relationship was with a sister. I wasn't left in that kind of, but I, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there's books like what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. <laughs> Should make a handbook, like what to expect when, you know, mom's gone and you're the only female left. As I also think it mostly, it can happen more in strong family dynamics and relationships like you had like 35 cousins and your mom had siblings like that's huge you know yeah my 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 family and my sister's family like we were really close and her her nuclear family her her and her husband her two kids were very close you know maybe it doesn't happen in families that don't have those strong connections but it's definitely something that's that's come up um lately in in discussions and it's interesting it's interesting you guys can yeah. throw it throw it around your empower her hats and and see what people think, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah we and empower her we you know try not to we don't really like as far as like um, the family dynamics go like we try to like keep it you know at an arm's length we try not to judge anybody like we you know we're a whole foundation that's literally founded on you know the concept that grief is very isolating and it's very different to different people and we don't want to uh, impose any judgments on families or anything like that we are really we're here for the girl to meet them where they are and to provide whatever it is that they need from us whether it is just to feel like they're a part of a community to have some events to go to to have a mentor to have a community whatever they need from us we that is our priority is to provide that for them um which is also kind of hard right because you know um as a program coordinator my job is to talk to families and you know sometimes like how do I not you know insert myself when I see something that's like that I know is is damaging or is like complicated mm-hmm. because I've been there before. Um, and I haven't, not that I've seen that, but you know, I know that if the situation were to arise just with my training, I'm just kind of supposed to not touch it and just kind of pivot. Um, 
which yeah like it's not the best reaction to it but you know it is in line with what we're trying to do is like like I said we're not trying to impose any judgments or anything on anybody because we you know our whole attitude is that we get it we get how scary and how weird and how nuanced grief is and we know it's not our place to kind of impose those judgments Mm -hmm. on you know families and you know surviving parents or anything like that yeah and that makes sense because you're definitely feeling the need with that like you said you know for those girls to just feel like that they have a place to go and that they're not alone and and that is so important and just like we said a few minutes ago it it would not be and especially for girls who are I mean 24 is is older but you know for girls at that age it's not any bridge that they should be crossing on their own or being the leader and going across that bridge um so that makes complete sense yeah that you guys stay in that you know I know stay in your lane has a sometimes can have a negative connotation but I've liked it recently like for myself to like stay yeah what I mean stay in your lane right you're doing a great thing. So don't mess it up because you're you know, yeah. doing a great service. So yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah. So I usually finish with, if you have some like, a final thought you want to share, or if you had a, a, a tip is such a weird word. It's not a tip. Yeah. Well, I call it like a takeaway. If you have a takeaway yeah. or something that you'd like to close with. Sure. Um, so I guess just from hearing my story, it's probably pretty fair to say that the, you know, the big theme with my grief was, um, you know, feeling the things, feeling the emotions and, um, you know, being really, really cruel to myself when I felt those emotions. So I think my, my biggest takeaway from my experience and, and really what I tell everybody that I, that I talk to is, um, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna feel a lot of things and it's not always going to make sense. Um, but you know, let yourself feel it without judgment and, you know, without frustration, just, just allow yourself and, and just really, really be gentle with yourself. Um, grief is really hard and, you know, the only, the only real resource anybody seems to have are the five stages of grief, which were formed for people dying, not for dealing with somebody who has died. So those five stages make sense when there's an end point, but, you know, grief, grieving the loss of, of a close family member, you know, that's not something that goes, you know, one, two, three, four, five done. Um, you're going to jump around from, if you want to use those five stages as a guideline, if that helps you, okay, but you're not going to feel them in sequence. Um, you know, you're going to jump around from anger to acceptance, to bargaining, to this, to that, to whatever, you're going to go back and forth a million times. Um, and you know, it's not going to make any sense and it's going to feel really uncomfortable, but, um, you know just let yourself feel it. You, you will be okay and you will get through it. Um, you just have to kind of let yourself go through it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's not easy, but you know, stuffing it or brooding and bottling is not easy either. So 
kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. well. well, like I said, I will um, link all the things for Empower Her and um, Dallas has agreed to be your contact if you're in a different part of the country or, or and have a question about it that you can reach out to her and she'll do her best to help connect you with the right people and resources in Empower Her. So thanks so much for being here and sharing your story with us, Dallas. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.